okay, this is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it's all that I need. Yeah, now, um, last time we met, we were in, in um, of course, chapter 21. And they were in, Abraham and Sarah were in such a good place with the Lord. I mean, they, they experienced this miracle, this joyous miracle of, of Isaac's birth. And so they are, they, they, I loved it when Sarah said, I'm just going to have all my friends over and we're going to laugh together. And you could hear in her, in her joy, she just, oh, you know, 90 years old and holding her own baby. And so, um, and then we ended with Abraham planting this tree and this slow growing tree, which really signified his belief that God was going to give his descendants this land, even though right now it was just full of enemies. But he knew, he believed. I mean, he saw his son Isaac, and then he, he thought of what God says he will do. So um, this is where we left him. And, you know, when we're in that good place, when we're in that good place with the Lord, there's just such a peace and, and comfort and there's such um, joy. And it, it's, it's, it's the kind of place you want to stay. You, wanna, you just want to stay in that place. Like, everything's going so good. You know, maybe things in your, in your personal, you know, like home, your kids and grandkids, Everything is going smooth, and, and it's just in a good time. No one's rocking the boat. And, I mean, we wish we could stay there, and, but it seems like when we are in that spot, I, for me personally, when everything is going too good, I just kind of look over my shoulder because I think something's going to happen. Things are just going too good, and... and Sometimes, too, there's a danger of getting a little, when things are going too good, then you kind of get a little complacent and a little, you know, at ease. And maybe you don't um, cling quite as hard. You know, you, you just kind of loosen up because, you know, things aren't as difficult. So, But sometimes when you get to that frame of mind like oh I think maybe things are smooth and I think I got a hold of this I think uh, well, I think we get it I think this is you always should know that God still tests us and sometimes when things even when things are going good he says okay you know I can see they're not trusting me enough they're, they're kind of just relying on their good easy times now and so I have to Test them. And I know sometimes we don't like to think that God would test us. I mean, it doesn't even sound nice, but really, a test is what any good teacher will do. If you, if you have worked hard at teaching your students, and it's so easy to, to with your mouth, say, oh yeah, I get it, um, no problem, I know it, 
and a, te a good teacher will say, well, we're just going to see. We're going to prove it. We're going to see if what you say and what you think you know, we're going to see if you really do know it. And, and a lot of times, it's those teachers at the time, you don't like those kind. I mean, you don't like those good teachers because they're strict and they're hard and they make you work and they test you and they quiz you and, and they surprise you and they do all those things. And help later in life, you look back and you think, boy, that was a good teacher. That, that I needed when, when I needed him or her. And, and a good teacher will make sure that the rubber meets the road. And, and in spiritual terms, a test will reveal your faith, will reveal what, because we know the church jargon. We know how to put the, into sentences, you know, biblical terms. We know how to talk it. But God knows our heart, and he wants to make sure that we are not only talking it, but we're putting it into practice when it's so necessary. Uh, you know, when, when a surprise of life, it's like so many of these lessons have been teaching us how to handle life. When, 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 you know, when we make mistakes, then we have to know there's consequences. But sometimes when there's just real living, you know, you have to deal with how life goes, the ups and the downs of life. And we're striving at keeping or spiritual walk on an even keel. So he tests us to see if in our heart is real faith. So in this test, it's not so much to grow faith, it's to reveal. Let's see, because, you know, last chapter, oh, yeah, you have your baby boy, you have, you know, you, you're really, you're in a good place. Now I'm going to test you. So it says here, sometime later, I tested Abraham, and he said to Abraham, here I am. Called Abraham by name, and Abraham right away said, here I am. I don't know if he would have been so quick to answer if he would have known what he was going to hear next. Because I don't think there's, there's not one part of me that, that thinks that Abraham knew that this was going to happen or that he could even believe what he was hearing. Now, when I say what God says, you know the words, but um, I'm going to say them slow and I'm going to say them in phrases. And it's like every time God speaks a few more words, it is it's more of a knife stab than the previous one because he says, Abraham, take your son, your only son. Now, we know that Abraham had another son, and he, and he before Isaac came, he had had Ishmael for 13 years all alone. So you know he developed a, a rapport, a a love relationship with his boy. And then we learned how God, um, you know, in friction of the boys, you know, when Ishmael was mocking 
Isaac, and then you know, Sarah comes to Abraham and says, "You better do something. You better get rid of her, and you better get rid of her and that kid of hers." And you know, you first read it, you think, "Boy, that, that's you know, that's kind of a nasty way to put it." But God said to Abraham, "Do what she says." And when we did that, we said, "You know what, Ishmael was." Uh, Abraham's child, but he wasn't the promise, the covenant promise child. So God knew that they had to separate, that this that Ishmael had to leave and, and get away from what was going to transpire through Isaac. So that's why God said to Abraham, do as I said. Send her away. Now, don't, don't be concerned because I'll take care of them. I'll take care of them, but they, they can't be together. So, you know, that, that couldn't have been easy for Abraham because really he had no, no real dealings with them again. So he's already giving, giving up one child and now he hears this, and he, he has, from, from last time in last chapter, it's like, okay, I really, I'm really starting to believe this. I mean, we have this, this child now, and, and we have the promise is land, and I, I believe it's going to happen. And it was more of a reality. And now God says, take your son, because in the Lord's eyes, this was the covenant child, and so this was the son that was the only son. So take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. I learned at this week that um, the word love, first time it's mentioned in Genesis. So when God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, God uses a word that, believe me, he understands. He originated the word, and he understands how much he loves his son. I mean, so it's the first time it's written in his word. So the, the son that you love, and then go to the region of Moriah. So, very specific. And then, sacrifice him. I mean, I, I can't even fathom how numb Abraham must have gone. Sacrifice him. How bird offering. Sacrifice him as a burnt offering. I mean, this doesn't even sound... It's so it's ridiculous, almost like you just said you just gave, and and now you're telling me to sacrifice. He had to have had some questions go through his mind, at least two. One was that's not your character to sacrifice humans. Pagan worship will use sac human sacrifice, but God's character never would would have us offer children as a burnt offering. So this was going against God's character.
character, you know, in Abraham's mind. And, but, but the number two thing that I thought of that would got through my mind right away was, you had just told me, and you promised, and you said over and over how many descendants would come from this line. You know, he is just using common sense, and he's saying, and so in that white space between verses two and three, you, you know that it's going, something's going on in his mind. And the thing is, it, was, it, it, it might have been going through his mind, but instead of going to the Lord saying, this doesn't even, I don't understand this. You better explain it. I mean, um, this isn't fair. I mean, this, this doesn't even sound that it's a possible thing to comprehend. I mean, there's so many things in that white space. I think I would have been verbalizing to God with such a request. Now, to say he wasn't thinking, but I think that would be crazy because a human is going to think that. But we can have our questions. We can have some doubts. But from verse 2 to 3, there was no, there's no conversation. He went to bed. And he got up early the next morning and saddled his donkey. So I guess my point is, sometimes... God is going to ask us or test us to do something that, that we're going to think as unreasonable. And it doesn't make sense. And um, we, can, we can, that's okay. That's okay. We can think these thoughts. But what God is trying to say to Abraham, what the test is all about, is are you willing to to just plain trust and obey me when, when it doesn't make the sense that you think it should. It's not reasonable. It's not fair in your eyes. He just did it. And I know we've known the story, and I know this has been talked and preached about, but, but yet in our own personal, in our own personal walk, that's why I said this was such a good lesson, because sometimes we are faced with the circumstance and the test that God will test, because he's a good teacher, and he just doesn't want us to know it in our head. He wants it to come out from our heart into action, and we will dare just believe him because he said it, and he's okayed it, and he has reasons when we can't see him, and he doesn't owe us an explanation. Do we believe that God is who he is, and we are who we are, and we, we, we shouldn't need an explanation from him when he tells us to do something? or when he asked us to walk through a dark valley. And so he got up the next morning, and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering. He set out for the place God had told him about. Now, 
you know, in, in kind of researching or, or reading people's um, opinions sometimes, but Josephus, he, he believes, because this is always a big question, how old do you think Isaac was? Now we're going to, tonight, we're going to see how many comparisons there are with Isaac and Jesus. It's, 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 it's the best part of the lesson. He, already we are seeing how, how much, how much God wants us to know um, Jesus and in the relationship and how even in Isaac's life, we can learn more about the character of Christ and how we see Jesus even in Genesis so often. So here in here, Josephus says he believes that Isaac is 33. Yeah, would that be something? And, and it, it could be, because look at it, how 22 starts. It says, sometime later. See, so much time, you know, years have lapsed. You know, God's been working on Abraham for decades. He's been working on his heart. And there's been many ups and downs, and he's had some really bad times where he just sank and God's name was never mentioned or asked about. And he tried to handle it himself, and he paid the consequences. But then there was some times, you know, like like what we've been seeing here, that he just he he just believed with all of his heart. And and look at the rewards and the ramifications of of a a person walking with God. You can do what you never thought you would be able to do because you believe Him and. So, you know, time has gone by, and so it could be that Isaac is that old. And he has learned from his father. He's learned about faith, and he's learned about God. And he, so just kind of keep that in mind, because it could be 33, and it's also possible, because God is very specific. He wanted them to, to do this sacrifice. On this is a certain area in Moriah, and according to maps and all that, it could very well be that this hill of Moriah could be Calvary. So, anyway, it says here that on the third day, the third day, see, it, it, these are all details. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. So he looked up at the place and he saw and he said to his servants before they started up the hill, he said, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy See, I think this is why we get a picture in our mind. He calls him the boy. But I don't know about you moms, but, you know, I have one, I have one boy that's going to be 50 years old and 146, and I'm thinking to myself, I still call them my boys. So I don't really buy that, that you know, he's still, there, he's still Abraham's boy. It, 
I'm not going to say that it has to be a, a little boy. We don't know, but I just love the picture in my mind that he's 33. But he says, we will, we will worship. So look at his heart already. Look at, he's, he's been given this instruction to take your son, your only son, the one you love, and you need to sacrifice him as a burnt offering. And he, and Abraham is doing it, and he calls it worship. We will worship. And we will come back. We will come back. And it had to be he meant Isaac because he's leaving the two servants back. We will come back. Now, he doesn't understand. He, he just believes God promised. I don't have to make sense out of this. I'm just going to trust and I'm going to obey. And because it said Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. So he had to be pretty bigger, pretty much bigger, because he's carrying the heavy load. So he puts the wood on Isaac's back, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. Did that make you stop for a minute when you, when you read and Abraham put the wood on Isaac's back? See, once I caught the fact that there's so many similarities between Isaac and Jesus, I'm looking at these details and I'm thinking, Jesus carrying that wooden cross on his back. And so Abraham carries the fire and the knife at the Two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, us, my son, the fire and the wood are here. Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And, and Abraham, did you notice? Abraham didn't even say what I think would come up out so easily is, I don't know. You know, I don't, I don't know. This whole thing is bizarre, you know. He doesn't say anything like that. He comes and says to Isaac, the Lord will provide. What an answer. Even though he, he doesn't understand a bit of it. I have to tell you about an article I read. Um, it's, it's so good. Um, there was a man who was a columnist for the LA Times. He was very liberal and, and very far left and wanted nothing to do with anything spiritual or biblical, you know. And he wrote columns for this, this you know, this newspaper. And uh, he was asked, probably, you know, thinking someone was going to catch up off guard, and he was asked, what would, what would you say if God said to you, I want you to take your son, your only son, the one that you love, and sacrifice him as a burnt offering? If God asked you to do something like that, and without even batting an eyelash, he looked at that person and said, I tell God to mind his own business. And he wrote a column about that. But the article went on 
to say, and I thought, this is really so true. It's so simple to understand, but this is what the world is doing. Because when you tell God to mind your own business, maybe you don't actually say those words, but when you say to him, I got this, I can handle it, I really don't need your help in this because this is how I wanted to go and I think I've got it figured out. And, and, and really you're saying, buzz off. Mind your own business. And it, it does make perfect sense that that's what our world is doing. They're telling God, I got this. I can handle it. We don't need you. You mind your business, and we'll mind ours. And any time, because we have a God who created this whole world, and he had a plan in mind, and it wasn't that we... We tell him to mind his own business. His plan was to be in the middle and the thick of it all with us. And when we push him out, we should not be surprised at all on what we're seeing happening. But I'm thinking now I've got the answer when people say, why do you think we're in such a mess in this world? And I said, because they tell God to mind their own business, mind his own business. So, you know, here we have this beautiful story that we know is true. And, and you've got the, the wood on the back, and, and you know, you're, you finally get to that place. And you say, where, where's the sacrifice? We've got all the tools here, but where's the sacrifice? And you hear that answer, the Lord will provide. I can't tell you how many times this week, and I even asked you a question about that. You know, do you have a place that, in, and I hope that you do think about it, you know, is there some time in your life or is there a place that you can recall that, that you know that that was your answer? The Lord provided because there's no other way to explain this. And I couldn't help for me personally, you know, and I hope that it triggers you thinking about your own thing, but for me, it triggered me thinking every time I walk in the door. In fact, I have to be real honest with you, my voice has been so bad that Tom hasn't even dared to say what anymore. But he says, I just try to figure out what you're saying. But he doesn't, he has no idea. It's just been amazing how, how in the course of these last months, you know, and these, this trial stuff, and, and um, I, can't, I can't get the words out when I converse. I was, I was telling Mimi tonight that I was in a store, and, and I tried to, a girl was trying to help me, and I was trying to say what I needed, and she, was, she couldn't figure out what I was saying, and I couldn't get it out. And, and yeah, when I come here, it's just, that's why when I stand by this table or in the other churches, that I, I, it, I might start out really rough, and it's like all of a sudden the Lord, the Lord provides. And I hope that you, and to me, you know, I wouldn't wish this on anybody except that isn't as bad as what maybe some of you had definitely have been going through yourself. But for me, I can see why the Lord, I love that verse, what we saying because he, I didn't think I really needed humbling so much, but we always do. And, and when, you, when you stop singing 
I surrender part of it all. And I, I, I thought that I had stopped singing, I surrender part of it all, but maybe I was up to 90, 95%, but he is still going to test and work till you finally dare say, I surrender all. Humbly at his feet I bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken. Just take me, Jesus. Take me now. And you start realizing that, you know what? I don't have to be perfect. I had to learn this. I thought I, had, I, thought I knew it, but I, I thought that from, for, this, for any study or anything to be a success, I would not only have to study hard, but I had to present it the best I could. It had to be, you know, my head, it has to be perfect so you can hear it right. And, and I think so often we do that. We think we have to be perfect. And the Lord has used broken, imperfect people to bring his son through. And he's taken all of these little lessons and he just finally took me to the end of the worst voice I've ever had that I can't even get words out. And he's saying, you know what? I'll provide and I will see to it that the word is heard and it has nothing to do with you. You don't need to be perfect. It doesn't have to be delivered perfect. How much pressure we put on ourselves thinking that, that if it isn't just, how, how many times do we say no because we think we can't? And God all the time is saying, don't you realize I provide, I know what I'm doing and I know how I'm going to do it. And sometimes it is through our imperfections that he proves to us it's not us anyway, it's him. These are lessons that are just everyday thing that you know we all battle with in our own different way. But I'm just saying how God can take a story that I've known so well and yet meet it right to where I am today. And I'm hoping and praying that you're seeing Genesis that way. He starts from the beginning. It's like he's starting in the beginning with you and I, and he's teaching us how to live life through all of the obstacles, through all of our imperfections. He's teaching Abraham how to be real. He provides. And then verse 15, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time. This is when you know that, that it's, it is the Lord definitely, the angel of the Lord is definitely the Lord. Oh, I jumped ahead a little bit. Just a minute, I forgot, I forgot where I was. So in verse 8, 9, when they reached the place God had told him, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. That detail escaped me before, but this time it didn't. He ate Isaac, now I don't care if he's 33 or if he was a child, once you realize what's going to happen here, I mean, whether you were, if you were a child, you could kind of slither off underneath him and go running. Or if you were an adult, I mean, he could have said, hey, 
I can take you, old man. But Abraham laid him on the wood. And I'm thinking, oh, my word, of course. Those soldiers laid him on that wooden cross. And he he did not buck. And Jesus, we know he could have called 10,000 angels, but he let them pound the nails. And Isaac let him wrap him on that wood, on that altar. Then he reached, then Abraham reached, and he took that knife. I mean, you see pictures of it, but, you know, you're thinking here, boy, that is to, that's kind of close. That's right down to the wire. All is prepared. All is ready. He is bound, and the knife is in the air, ready to go, and he is just being obedient, and then angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And he says, here I am. Do not lay a hand on the boys. Do not do anything to him. Now, these next words to me, I think, are priceless because this is God's goal for Abraham, for you and me. It's like I'm sorry to have to test you to the point where you have to go through this and your your feelings and your emotions because I'm wondering if Abraham told Sarah about any of this. We don't hear a word about that. But Abraham had to feel plenty. Isaac had to feel plenty. And then you get to this point where the knife is in the hand and is ready to come down and God's voice comes out. Abraham, stop what you're doing. Now I know that you fear God. Now I know. It's like I, I wanted to get you to the point where there is no question. Now I know you are for real. You know, we're, we're such a religious people. You know, like I said before, we know the cliches. We know the church talk. We know, we know the verses. We, we're so good at being so spiritual. But sometimes God will test our heart to see. And I think, I know, that is, his whole point is to say, see, now I know. Now I know that not, you're not just all a bunch of hot air. You're not just talk. I'm watching you in the thick of this test, and you are trusting me. And how in the world did Isaac lay there ready for that knife to penetrate his body? And I'm thinking, because he loved his father. He believed his father, and he believed he believed what Abraham taught him about God. And the, when, when you think of oh, two words, Love and trust, they go together. When you love someone, because what does trust really mean? It means a, a total reliance, a total surety. You are so sure of that person. You are so reliant on that person. It's just, no, there's no question, no doubt. There's where he wants us in that trust, that total reliance, that that. Total surety that you know who he is, no question. So he'll put us to an ultimate test. 
and and to be able to get to the point that God would say this to me, this is a major goal where he can look into your heart and my heart and say, now I know you are for real. You have proved it. Your faith isn't just talk. Now I know you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son, probably your most priceless possession. And you were ready and willing to hand it over. Now I know you are real. That is a good look at Abraham's heart, if you ask me. I mean, if, if, if God was handing out report cards right there because he is the good teacher and he knows how to give just the right kind of test, and he, he knows. He knows how hot to get the fire, too, by the way. Because when I was thinking, boy, that knife was up there, that's, that, that's a little too close for comfort, God, if you ask me. But God knows. You know, you've heard that story, the silversmith, you know. When he has to melt down that, that you know, that's over to mold it into what he wants. And, and someone asked him, how do you know how hot? And, you know, he said, you just you do it you you do it and you you know how hot it can you know how hot it because a little too hot you ruin it. Not enough doesn't cut it. But I know just how hot and and I know just how long it takes to get to that right temperature. And I'm thinking, that's exactly here. God knows when he tests us, he knows just how far, even though we're thinking, that's a little close. That's a little too far. And he said, I know know how hot to make this fire, and I know how long to keep you in it. Because my goal is to get to the point where I say, now, now I know you are real. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns, and he went over, and he took the ram, and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. In verse 15, the angel of God called to Abraham from heaven a second time, and he said, I swear by myself declares the Lord that that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, look, here comes, I will, I will, surely. You you got an A plus. And because you were willing to obey me, I would just want to reassure you, I will do my part. You might have thought these two things were bizarre and impossible to happen, but you are going to now know because you are real and you do trust me. I will, I want to reiterate, I will surely bless you and make descendants as numerous as the stars and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. This was one of the moments this week that almost pushed me off my chair because, you know, that, that, 
that line right there, that verse there, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Why? Because you have obeyed me. I never thought about that. You know, when our when we're caught in our in our crisis or the, all we're thinking about is how we're going to make it through. And I think we forget that. Well, let me tell you for an example. I and I called um, my our boys and I said to them, I said, well, I just want you to know that we made the decision to, you know, go back. I mean, we all had hoped that this was going to work and it was going to be healed. And I mean, even, even, you know, your kids want that for you. And I had to tell them, I said, well, we, we made the decision, you know, that it's not working and I'm too old and, and I'm too far gone. And, and the first thing that came out of Chad's mouth was, this just sucks. And I don't even like that word, I know, but it fit. He said, this just sucks. He said, and I'm so sorry. But then, then, I remember him saying to me, I remember him saying to me, I can't, I can't get over that in all of this, you never questioned. Now, you know, I know that, but that was between me and God. I, you know, I had to come to that choice, you know, when I, when I, you know, through all of this for years, I had to come, you know, I knew that singing was done. I had to accept those things, but I thought that I was doing that. Me and God were doing that. And I had to make these choices. I, I totally, I totally forgot, or I didn't even fathom, and this is why I think we need a wake-up call, and that verse helped me to see, and then when Chad said that, it's like my kids were watching how I was handling this, and I didn't even think about that. We're so caught up in getting through it ourselves, but they're watching that when we are going through some of the hardest and decisions of our life and battling with things that make no sense. And I thought it was just me saying, Lord, I'm just not going to question you on this because your will is good, pleasing, and perfect, and you must have another plan. And, and when you say no, you say no. I mean, it doesn't mean, like I said at the beginning with Abraham, I've got my questions. I have some doubts in my mind, but I am not. I am, I'm going to have white space. I am not going to question you on that. I am going to trust you on that. But, you know, this has helped me again so much because now God says, you have to remember, Abraham, that because you were willing to do this obedient act, all people are going to be blessed because of it. I mean, can you imagine if Abraham said nothing doing or, or if he did what Jack Smith said, it's none of your business. I mean, we would have a whole different kind of store here. And it wouldn't have been a good one. But because of that act of obedience, we have the plan of salvation that eventually came for our salvation. The plan was already started, and the promise was already starting to continue, and, and they chose to believe when it, it, it just seems so much bigger than comprehending how it could possibly work. They just 
believed. And because of that, we today have salvation. Because of an act of obedience. So I'm just throwing that out to you because when we're in the thick of it, when, when things, when, when we're having to deal with some of our biggest obstacles, especially people close to us, they're watching. And I had no idea that he saw that. So that was so good. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba and Abraham stayed at Beersheba. Now, I love those first 19 verses. And when I first started doing this chapter, I thought, why? Why do you have to ruin it with this next four verses? 20 to 24, I thought, what does this have to do with it? I don't even care about this Nahor and the goofy names they named their kids. Didn't you, didn't you laugh? Us and both. So I, I'm reading those names, and I'm reading that, you know, that Milka had, he, she became a mother, and she was the wife of Abraham's brother. And I went back, and sure enough, I reviewed Abraham's father had three children, three boys. One boy died um, young. So, and there were two, two boys left. And it was it was Abraham, Abram, that God chose to then, in the next chapter, 12, give, give him the calling to start the nation that would bring forth the Savior, right? I mean, the covenant promise. But So, I mean, I'm trying to think, and I'm looking at Nahor, and I'm reading about his eight sons, and then I get to verse 24, and it said, his concubine. I mean, this is Abram's brother. And this is the first time concubine is used in scripture. So, all of a sudden, I'm starting to piece this together, and I thought, this is no mistake that these four or five verses are right here, right after we read about Abraham and his A-plus walk of faith. I couldn't, I, at least this is what went through my mind, that, that I thought, oh God, you did know both those men's hearts and you, and you picked the right one. And maybe, maybe Nahor you know, far be it from Abraham that he was perfect. Oh, my, by, by all means, no. But God's been working on his heart for decades because it was pliable. He knew that Abraham had the kind of heart that he could work with. And Nahor, see, Nahor, he is sitting there, I think, he's, he's just kind of basking in life. I mean, I've got eight sons, and then I've got a lot of women, you know, I've got concubine, I can do what I want, when I want, how I want, with whatever woman I want. I mean, he's sitting there, and, and the world looking on says, whoa, what a life, easy. Sometimes when it looks like you have all that the world has to offer. Well, sometimes we look at people and it seems like they don't even, they don't even struggle. I mean, they've got plenty of money. They've got plenty of, of whatever they need. Everything they have. What an easy life. And here we sit, we're struggling away, you know. And you look at other people who just have life so easy. 
bet if we talked in AR, I bet if if we really had a chance to discuss it with him, and he would say, yeah, I mean, I had a good life. I, I had a lot, of, you know, and, and life was easy. And I think that's why we see such discontent in our world today, because when people have everything the world has to offer, it's still not enough, because we've been created to need them. Maybe Nahor is hearing about his brother thinking, boy, you know, here they they don't even have a home. They just live in tents. And and maybe he hears about some of the experiences Abraham and Sarah have got to go through. And he maybe looks and says, oh, you know, poor sucker. But I'm thinking, what? For, For me, looking at this chapter, I hope for you too, it just shows even if people have everything this world has to offer, if they were honest, they are not satisfied. And Abraham shows me that I just as soon have God work me over good so that I don't miss what God, all what God has for me. There's where we have total satisfaction and total contentment that we can, like the Bible says, we can rest in him we can have peace and we can have joy. We can have these words that the world does not know. They have a counterfeit definition of them, but we know what real peace is and what real joy is. We know when we hear that God Almighty says, I'm there. I know you by name, and when you go through the rivers and the fires and the water, I'll be there. We have that assurance. We're the ones that sing when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll. I mean, we're the ones that can sing that. We're the ones that can sing blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Work me over whatever you have to do. Test me whatever way. I don't want want to miss what you've got. And another verse that I just claimed so these past couple weeks is Isaiah 55, where God says, the quicker you learn this, the better it will be that your ways are not my ways. And your thoughts are not my thoughts. And you got a choice on who you're going to listen to. You can listen to me and believe that I might not always do it the way you want it, but are you going to believe me and trust me that, like Paul said, Romans 12, 2, God's will is good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect, and you rest in that. He's got a plan that's so far bigger than us. And he's got a whole, you know, we're so caught up in our little world, and he's using our little circumstance to show others He's using us to be a teaching tool, if we're willing. So I know, I don't know, I just, I didn't get it from any concordance or, or anything like that. This was just something that the Lord showed me in the contrast between the two brothers. But then Sarah, Sarah lived to be 127 and she died in Hebron. Now, Hebron, that doesn't that ring a bell? You know, all of Canaan, it seemed like Hebron was where Abraham really liked to be. Good things, 
good things. He was in a good place at Hebron. And so it says that, it, that in the land of Canaan, that's where Hebron was, and Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Isn't that reassuring, you know, that, that it's, it's natural and it's, it's so okay? That tears are not a sign of lack of faith. You know how sometimes you hear that. When, when people are weeping and, oh, they must not have much faith. I mean, that's just such a bunch of nonsense that here, Abraham, he wept over Sarah. Because you know why? You think of how many years they were together. You think of the memories that flooded his mind. You think about the, the, the experiences they've been through, good and bad. And they did it together. They made mistakes, but boy, I'll tell you, they were through it all, and they learned. And so when she was gone, I mean, he just mourned. He wept over her, and then he rose from the bedside of his dead wife, and he spoke to the Hittites. And he said, I am an alien, a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. He wants a special spot, and, and we've talked about this before, and I want you to go back, because it's just priceless. Genesis 13, go back to this. Genesis 13. This is when Abraham and Lot separated. And starting with verse 14, it said, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, Lift up your eyes from where you are, and look north and south and east and west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted Go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I'm giving it all to you. So Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. So Hebron had such significance. It is foreign Ian kind of feeling, he, he knew that even enemies were around him. Hebron is where he built that altar to the Lord. And we talked at length about altars. When they would build an altar, it meant that I'm in a close walk with you, God. In fact, if I wasn't, it was that time of altar building that you confessed and you repented and you rebuilt that relationship and you worshipped him there because you were so grateful that he would take you back instead of saying, you know, you've used your quota. So that, that altar was so special because that's when God and, and they were tight and walking close. And now we see that he wants that specific place to bury his wife and so verse 5, the Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. Isn't that something? I mean, these people looked 
on Abraham's clan and Abraham being the head of it. And they, they considered him, I mean, they looked at his character. They watched how he operated with his family and with people. And that too just was a wake-up call. We, we just, I mean, Abraham must have just walked with such authority and confidence in his God, and it was so noticeable that they, they called him a prince. And so then they said, bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb or burying your dead. I mean, take your pick. Then Abraham rose and bowed down before the people of the land, the Hittites, and he said to them, If you are willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede with Ephron, son of Zohar, on my behalf. He's the one, obviously, that, that owns it. So he said, So he, you know, maybe you can help me convince him. It must have been a really choice piece. And so, you know, can you, can you help me? Can you help me intercede? You know, will you intercede for me so that he will sell me the cave of, of Machpelah, which belongs to him in his, at the end of his field, and ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you? Well, he apparently, you know, he got the message. Ephron the Hittite was sitting among his people, and he replied to Abraham in the hearing of all the Hittites who had come to the, to the gate of his city. And he said, No, my lord, listen to me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bury your dead. Now, you know, it could be as simple as in this circumstance, they, they were very much, they respected Abraham so much. So, you know, take whatever you want. And maybe this Ephron was just a really, really nice man. And it could be that, but in my, in my research, I found out that this was the way that they did business. This is the way they would start. They would start by, you know, apparently they would say to the person who wants to buy their, their goods, they would say, oh, just take it. But no one ever would take it. But it began the bartering because he, he does say, because if he really... To me, I'm thinking, and I don't mean to be skeptical or what, but yet in my head, I'm thinking, if you're going to give something to somebody, are you going to tell them what it's worth? You know, because he comes back and he says, Ephron says to Abraham, listen to me, my Lord, the land is worth 400 shekels of silver. But what is that between me and you, Barry, your dad? And, and I know that sounds good, but why did you even tell him to begin with? But, you know, if it's true that this is how they did business, see, then what the person would do is, well, then, um, no, I don't want to take it for free, so how about we get take 200 for it? And then they come back and said, what about three? 
And then the person would come back and say, what about 250? I mean, this, this was business. And, and they would start when you can have it to then, you know, then the bartering began. And then, and then look, this is what happens. Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms, weighed out for him the price he named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weight current among the merchants. I thought, what a beautiful testimony even if this was the way they did business. Abraham did not want, he, if it's worth 400 shekels of silver, then I'm paying 400 shekels of silver. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to whittle something out of you for free, or I'm not trying to um, cheat you or get it cheaper. If this is what it's worth, then I'm going to pay. Abraham was very generous, but I think it was beautiful testimony too. So Ephron, I mean, there was no argument there, was there? I mean, look, at there was no more questions. He took it. He took the 400 shekels of silver, and I'm sure he with a, whoa, I get full price for it, which is probably rare because of the bartering system. Ephron's field and Machpelah near Merim, both the field and the cave in it, all the trees within the borders of the field was deeded to Abram, Abraham as his property in the presence of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city. Afterward, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which is Hebron in the land of Canaan, so the field and the cave in it were deeded to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. Now I thought, I just want to take some of these pieces of these two chapters and I just want to prove to you just how beautiful God is using these stories to introduce us to Jesus, you know, and we're going to see later because I've already, you know, done the lessons for when we're gone. So I've already recorded. I know more about Joseph now. But the thing is how God uses certain people to just really compare how Jesus works so beautiful and what he's come to do and what his character is like. So look at look at this about Isaac and and. And Jesus, both both were loved by their father. Both loved tremendously by their father. Both were the the one son, the only son, the son that was loved. I mean, that, that those words God picked. It's like God was feeling His own heart when He was saying them to Abraham. This is what I wanted you to do: take your son, your only son, the one you love, and I want you to sacrifice him. So when God was telling Abraham, you think that He's just not just saying that, and I'm going to reveal your faith or your lack of faith, or I'm going to test you. And God is saying, I know what this feels like. I know how hard this one is. And both of them offered themselves so willingly. I mean, we talked about that. Both laid on, both carried wood to the hill of sacrifice. And both, both were laid on wood. And both were willing 
both were delivered from death on the third day. And, and this one is what really got to me, was they both, they both were the promise fulfilled to deliver salvation. They both were the promised one who would, who would fulfill what needed to be fulfilled so that salvation could be offered. Because if Isaac and Abraham had not been willing to obey, like I said, the story would have been so different. We have no idea what it would have been like. But because they did, all people on earth are blessed. And because Jesus was willing to follow through with his, we are here tonight with hope and a future and purpose and worth and satisfied and content. I just think it is one beautiful story. And I, it was one of them that, that really went to the core of my soul because it just painted such a picture and I don't want to ever go back to where I was. I, I want God to say, now I know you're real. Work me over. Keep working me over so that I stay in the place that you know that I'm real and I'm usable. So, Heavenly Father, you just never cease to amaze me how you take a story that I have known for years, that all of us have heard so many times, and yet make it right to our own individual lives in the circumstances we're in. Father, it does humble us. And human nature doesn't usually like to be humbled, but you know what? It's the best place to be, and we should never, ever want to stand up so tall and smug that we think that we are sufficient in of ourselves. But that line in that song, humbly at thy feet I bow, may we never lose that position. Lord, even though sometimes our human eyes have a tendency to look at life and the world and all the things in it and think, oh, that, oh, they, it looks like they have life so easy. And, and yet they don't know him. And I'm sure if we talked to Nahor, if he were honest, he would admit. Father, we want what Abraham had. And it is the whole point of this lesson is we can have it. But are we willing to submit? Are we willing to turn our eyes upon Jesus in the middle of it all and look in his face and, and let the things of this earth grow strangely dim when we see him? Father, take music and truth of your word and just make it so real in our lives and we will give you praise and glory for what you're going to do in us because of chapters 22 and 23 of Genesis. And in, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen.